Hello and welcome to the West Road and Wesley Community Church Listen Again podcast. We are delighted that you're joining us. Our prayer is that what you hear today encourages you and builds your faith. Well, morning everyone. It's great to be with you. Just to clarify, when on Friday night when the deacons came up to help uh, Frosty set up for his wedding, I came in and said, Frosty, that is going to look great on Sunday. And he said, Sunday? And I went, I mean, it will look all right for your wedding, but I'm more, more pleased at how well it's going to look for Sunday. So thank you for Ian and Corinne for providing this lovely backdrop this morning. So we are in our final talk on um, the series we've been in, I Will Follow. And I wonder if you can remember where the first four were from. They were all from the same passage. They were from Matthew 28. And they were focused on the call to follow, the core of following, the cost of following, and the community that follow. And the second four, of which this is the last one, is also, have all been from the same verse, chapter rather. I wonder if you can remember what that one was. It was Luke 6, and it focused on living with the healing, the haves and the haves-nots, the hunger, and today, the hatred. So what we come to today, really, is the consequence, the consequences of choosing to follow. And when you read those verses in in Luke 6, I always think it's as if Jesus is saying that these traditional sources of happiness... And he says, actually, you're blessed if you don't have them, which is so countercultural to where we are in our lives, isn't it? But let's have a look at these verses in Luke 6 that we're going to look at today. I'll just read them to you. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. And verse 26, what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised the false prophets. Really? Be happy? Leap for joy? I mean, we all want to be liked and loved, don't we? So can we really be happy if we're hated? Well, we're going to look today at three things to help us look at that. We're going to look at the prophets, um, then we're going to look at the problem, and then we're going to look at the promise. So let's start with the prophets. Because in verse 23, we're asked to remember the prophets, the true prophets. Jesus takes us back to the prophets in Israel's national life. Their lives were mountain peaks in the history of the nation, but their tasks were thankless. But they were faithful to God and the message that he'd given them. And because of this, they often suffered persecution and to some even death. Let's just remind ourselves of a few of these prophets. Elijah. Well, Elijah's zeal for the Lord won a huge victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. But Elijah became a hunted man. He had to flee Israel to survive. And he was later accused of being the troubler of Israel. We read that in 1 Kings. What about Isaiah? 
he was called judgment down on the nation. Isaiah 30 verse 10 tells us that the people actually said to him, give us no more visions of what is right, only pleasant things. Jeremiah's burden was to tell the people to surrender to the Babylonians. He was branded a traitor. He was beaten and put in the stocks. Ezekiel spoke fearsome judgment upon his own beloved land and he was accused of being a false prophet. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den for being faithful and continuing to pray when praying was banned for 30 days. And John the Baptist, he was beheaded for telling Herod and Herodias the truth. And because the words he spoke about Jesus were having such an impact on the people. So why? Why does Jesus ask us to remember these poor prophets who had such an awful time? Well, I think we need to remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he speaks these words. We're told at the beginning of this, in, in verse 20 of uh, chapter 6, that there is a large crowd gathered. But verse 20 also says, he turns to his disciples and says. And we can assume that that isn't just the 12, but it's um, those others who used to follow Jesus around, a larger crowd. These disciples would have known exactly who the prophets were. These revered, immense people from their history. I mean, to be compared to such people would have been amazing from them. Being hated, but then being compared to Isaiah or Daniel, okay, suddenly, that made more sense. And as disciples today, we too are being compared and aligned with these ancient heroes of the Bible. I wonder, how are we stacking up against some of those immense people we've just looked at. Can we imagine Jesus turning to us and saying about these prophets as well? So, there's a problem. The New Testament writers operated under the recognition that Christianity would always be a rejected culture. The values of the kingdom are sometimes seen to be silly or harsh, and judgmental by those who are outside of the kingdom of God. And because many of us in the West, and we know it's true, live in a watered-down sort of pseudo-Christian culture, we're sometimes surprised when Christians are ridiculed or ostracized or persecuted. But this is a report I found dated January 2021, and it said this, more than 340 million Christians, one in eight, face high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith, according to this 2021 World Watch List compiled by the Christian advocacy group Open Doors, with at least 4,700 killed because of their faith. Recent. This is today. This is what's happening today. And I don't want to belittle anything that you may have suffered because you're a Christian, but when we think about it, is the most that most of us have faced a snigger or being the butt of a joke? These people are really living it, living. It is their reality, a daily occurrence for them. And I think we need to remember to pray for them, 
much more than we do. I always remember this saying from when I was younger. If you can see it up there, it says, if you're accused of being a Christian, there should be enough evidence to convict you. And I'm always pretty sure that there wouldn't be. What could they accuse me of? What could they accuse you of? If you were stood in the dock, if I was stood in the dock for being a Christian, what evidence are they going to present against me? It's quite a challenge, isn't it? And it's this phrase that brought US President Jimmy Carter back to faith. He was still preaching it twice a month in his church up until he was 94 years old. He's 96 now. In fact, twice a month, the 94-year-old led an hour-long Bible study in his church that he'd been at since he, was, since he was very young. People from all over the world would line up before sunrise to get a place in the church to hear Jimmy Carter speak. And this is the story that he tells. He calls himself a born-again Christian, and he admits that from the time he became a Christian and was active in his church, both as a youth and as an adult, that it made little or no difference to his life. But then he was defeated in a Georgia campaign in 1966, and he found himself re-evaluating his life. His sister Ruth said to him, you need to take your faith more seriously. That's what I think you need to do. So the first service he went to after he listened to his sister Ruth, he walked in and the subject was, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And by the time the sermon was over, he said, my answer was no. And he says this, and since then, I have had a new life. He goes on to say, from that moment, I have tried to make Jesus my first priority. What a realisation he had when he walked in to that service. What about us? Do we need to start gathering some evidence so that people could present it against us? I think the other thing is that we need to make sure that if we do suffer in the name of Jesus that it's because we've been people of character and respect and not because we've been obnoxious or self-righteous. Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So we need to be people of light and love. And at the same time, we need to remember that suffering for the name of Jesus is part of being a Christian. We shouldn't be surprised. And we should view these troubles as opportunities to show the character and grace of our Lord. When we do that, we can be sure of God's blessing and know that he is with us through it. The desire to be liked is so strong, isn't it? Our children just long to be liked. We ache to be loved, and as adults, we still struggle with rejection. But Jesus makes it clear in this passage that if we're seeking popularity or acceptance, then we might be severely deceived. Now, I know that you know 
that some Christians are a little bit unlikable. We know that's true. We, no names. We're not saying any names out there. But it's not because they're especially spiritual sometimes. It's because they're a bit grumpy. Or they're a bit self-absorbed. Or they're a bit full of themselves. Or a bit inconsiderate. And some Christians see the fact that they're unpopular as vindication of their attitude. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Nor is he saying that his followers will never be popular. For most of his ministry, let's remember, Jesus was immensely popular. Part of the problem the authorities had with him was the crowds and the attention that he attracted. But let's also remember that he was spurned and rejected. Those crowds on Palm Sunday that shouted Hosanna to the son of David and waved the palm branches and laid their cloaks on, uh, in front of him as he rode through, in just a few hours were crying for him to be crucified. Spat on and abused, Jesus followed the will of God to the cross for us. He knows what it is to be rejected by masses, who, um, by the masses to follow God. And that should be a real comfort to us when we too are rejected by others. But what he's saying is that popularity is a dangerous value system on which to judge ourselves or others and a very dangerous value system to live on. People, and we know it because we are people, we are notoriously fickle. What may be in favour one day may be considered poor taste just a few days later. We see massive shifts in public opinion in even shorter time frames, don't we? And just because in a democracy majority rules, it doesn't mean majority is right. So Jesus is saying to us not to seek popularity, but seek faithfulness. We're not to seek persecution, but if it comes because of the Son of Man, then we should count it as a badge of honour, rather than something to shrink from. You see, our value system as Christians should be based on love for and faithfulness to God, not the opinions of the community, either good or bad. And that is really tough. You know, the multitudes, there's a picture of Jimmy Carter there, I forgot that. Uh, the multitudes thronged around Jesus on that day when he said these words. But his words, remember, are directed to his followers. Jesus is talking about what motivates and tempts you, what motivates and tempts me. So that's quite a problem, isn't it? We've got this huge dichotomy of wanting so much to be loved, but we're being told not to shy away from being hated. But there is a promise. The promise is that blessings will abound now and a great reward in heaven, life in all its fullness, if we steer carefully around the temptations and stay on the path. The path that is following Jesus faithfully. But we all know we will make mistakes and mess it up. 
more often than we would like. But we also need to remember that God actually likes us. He's faithful and unchanging. He likes us. Actually, he loves us. Before the day we were even born, he loved us, and nothing can change that. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, He will take great delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Can you imagine God Almighty sings songs over you? He sings songs over you, over me. How amazing is that? This God loves us. But there are woes and regrets. Verse 26 says, What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised the false prophets. This is our warning. If you're praised for saying what people want to hear, you've missed the point. Do you remember what the people said to Isaiah? Tell us nice stuff, not this truth malarkey. It was too much. Tell us nice stuff, not this truth malarkey. How his life would have changed if he'd have done just that. And remember Jonah. He ran away from God to avoid having to tell the people of Nineveh that unless they turned to God, the city would be destroyed. Look what happened to him. I found this quote by William Hendrickson, and it says, If all men speak well of you, there must be something wrong with you. You are not taking a stand for the truth, you are not being a blessing, and you are digging your own grave. How true is that? We said earlier, we're not to seek persecution, we're to seek faithfulness, we're to seek to be faithful to God, but actually we need to have this as a a warning for us, and I often remind myself of those words in Be Thou My Vision, riches I need not, nor man's empty praise. Now don't get me wrong, we all love a bit of praise, I do for sure. But the praise that people give us has no promise attached to it. It has no longevity attached to it. It is empty praise. Wouldn't we rather to have the praise of God himself? Don't we long to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? So I wonder, as we come to this last one in this series... Are we ready to embrace the call to follow, the core of following, the cost of following, to be part of a community that follows? Are we ready to live with the healing, being poor but rich, having a hunger for the things of God? And are we ready to live with the consequences of living that life, being hated yet loved beyond all measure? Because that is the choice that we make. And the choice that we make when we decide to say, I will follow. Because if we say that, then we can also say with Paul when he wrote in Philippians 3, I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as rubbish, 
so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. So what choice do we make this morning? Do we choose to say what people want to hear? Do we choose to be people of integrity and respect that draw people to the light because we show light and love in the way that we live our lives? Do we want to follow and face the consequences? And there are woes and regrets, but the blessings far outweigh. Life in all its fullness, a great reward in heaven and on earth. Still, eternity starts on earth. So we start that life living with God and Jesus now. And we will make so many mistakes, of course. But what a life. What a way to follow. So let's just pray, shall we, before we sing and then take communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you went all the way to the cross for us despite the ridicule, the beating. You even faced death for us. We praise you that you rose again and that we worship a living God this morning. Lord, we thank you that whatever we go through, if we choose to follow you, that you're right there with us. Lord, I pray that we will have been challenged to think about what evidence there is against us as a Christian this morning. Oh Lord, I just pray that we would choose to follow you, knowing that you're right there with us through it all. And we look forward to the blessings in heaven, but we also look forward to the blessings we have now. So Lord, will you help us to make choices this morning? In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing again before communion. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So check us out on social media at West Road Church BSE or go to our website www.westroadchurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening and have a great day.